forgot the one thing I was supposed to do. <laughs> if it's about a single thing, my story is about being shaped, formed, malformed. In fact, understanding how we humans are shaped for good or ill has become something of an obsession for me. The scriptures use various metaphors for this process, though we often misunderstand them or take them too far. Let's take the metaphor of potter and clay. Clay is formless and has no shape except that which imposed upon it. In the sense that we're all made up of the same matter, dust, if you will, then this metaphor works well. But if we take this metaphor too far and we assume that it applies to our children and our responsibilities to teach and train them and each other, then modern folks that we are, we often keep going. We apply mass production techniques, standardized curriculum, fill in the blanks, one size fits all, insert clay into mold, compress, out pops a disciple. We've trained them up in the way they should go. Yet that well-known verse in Proverbs can also be better translated train them up according to their bent. Because we are not interchangeable lumps of clay, but rather unique beings with a set of genes and experiences unlike anyone else in history. Perhaps God can shape us like clay, but we humans should be a little more humble. Shaping another human is more like working in a wide variety of natural materials, hardwood, softwood, burlwood, marble, granite, limestone, minerals, gemstones, amber, iron. They all require deep knowledge appropriate technique and loving care. Let me be a little more specific. High school was a major crossroads for me, and not one that was altogether positive. My grades have been mediocre, but now they were wildly uneven. In some areas, I had an intuitive grasp. I loved art and music and reading, creative writing, science, but I struggled to learn study skills. I struggled with rote memorization. My brain went into a full-fledged rebellion when faced with an onerous or uninteresting topic. Everyone told me I was smart, but I just could not figure it out. I remember getting a report card that had literally every letter grade from A plus to F. It was frustrating and demoralizing. My dad used to just laugh and say, yeah, I got bad grades in school too. And mom would say, don't tell him that. And Obviously, my parents cared a great deal about my education, and they did everything they could to help me, but Dad seemed to have this equanimity that I just couldn't muster. Why couldn't I apply myself? Was I just lazy? But I would often spend hours spinning my wheels, trying to study or finish an assignment, and it was like pulling teeth. I felt like Sisyphus here, pulling incredible effort into something, only to have it roll back down and start all over again. I felt like I was being pressed into the wrong mold, and it was hurting me, malforming me in ways that I could not realize for decades. It wasn't until recently that I could put a name to it, shame. One of my favorite cartoons shows a bunch of animals taking a test. The test is climbing a tree. The monkey looks happy. The other animals are a bit nonplussed, especially the fish. I felt like the fish. I love analogies and metaphors, can you tell? Oh, yeah, I'm supposed to be talking about my faith. Well, it's all connected. It turns out that my peculiar fish brain headed out for me there, too. One of the things that my brain did was to take authority very seriously. So when I had well-meaning authority figures telling me that God had very clear expectations, I did my best to follow. In our brand of conservative evangelicalism as I was growing up, intellectual pursuits were encouraged. Critical thinking was lauded. But there was always an undercurrent of warning Learn as much as you can, think for yourself, but you better end up with the right answers 
and certainly don't listen to the wrong people. And these folks were confident, really confident, and quite certain of their beliefs. For someone like me who was never certain of anything, it was a recipe for cognitive dissonance. Whether it was politics, science, books, music, at every turn I felt like a fish out of water, trying to climb a tree. A bunch of my friends decided their rock music collections were satanic, and they videotaped themselves throwing them into the air and shooting them with shotguns like skeet. They played this at the church youth group, and everyone cheered. And I sat in the back, conflicted because I love my Pink Floyd and Supertramp and Rush, and, and there was no way I was going to tell these people about that. I learned, not for the first time, that there were things about myself that I needed to keep hidden away. On the other hand, around the same time, I discovered computer programming. Finally, something that my fish brain was good at, my ocean. I had onto that like a lifeline. Finishing school was a relief. I found a good job and got married, and it seemed like I was living on my own terms. I was an adult. I was adulting. Here I go. But somehow, I was still feeling that old, same old boulder. The only word I had for it was stress. I was stressed all the time, and I had thin skin, every harsh word would leave me on edge for days. I remember hearing this piece on the radio about having variable skin, and I was like, yes, tell me how to have thick skin when I need it and thin skin the rest of the time, but could anyone tell me? No. It didn't hurt, that, uh, it didn't help that certain health help, sorry, it didn't help that self-help books were explicitly pooed-pooed from the pulpit in the church where we went. As I said, I took those well-meaning authorities very seriously, so I literally would avoid stepping into that section at bookstores. I couldn't, I felt like I couldn't look anywhere besides the church, the Bible, and Jesus, because Jesus was enough, the Bible was enough, and the church was enough. Now, let me be clear, it's not that I don't think these things are enough, but you know, exactly how are they enough? I really trusted God with everything. I really, to take away the stress, and I let go and I let God, but the stress remained. I resigned myself eventually to living this way. Perhaps everyone did. And I hoped that age would cure me. One of the other damaging ways I was shaped was by an early exposure to a very militant and dogmatic form of young earth creationism. As I learned later about the science behind the age of the earth and evolutionary theory, I felt caught between a rock and a hard place. Again, cognitive dissonance. Now, let me stop for a moment and be very clear that I'm not demonizing well-meaning creationists. What was harmful to me was the legalism. That is, younger creationism is the only way that real Christians can believe, and if you don't, you're a backslider, disobedient rebellion. One of the things I love about all souls is our commitment to, commitment to consensual orthodoxy. We can hold differing convictions and remain committed to each other as family in Christ. My goal is not put fellow Christians into first-class and second-class buckets. We've had enough of that, and I've had enough of it done to me. So if this resonates with your own story, I hope this helps you to realize that you're not alone. If it sounds foreign and a little strange, I hope you can just be curious and not feel judged. Because as Paul says in Romans, who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master, he stands or falls. So. Unfortunately, I was unable to live in that fuzzy world of, hey, God created everything. Why does it matter? And I really came to envy those who could just believe it and move on. 
So I was reading and researching voraciously on creation and origins because, again, my weird fish brain could just not give it up. And I got into kind of a pattern. Time after time, I would settle my doubts by reading something that seemed convincing. Then a few days later, I would wonder, gee, I wonder if there are counter-arguments to this. So I would look it up, and sure enough, there were counter-arguments that made loads more sense than the objective truth that I had been fed. But there was objective truth here, and it was, to some extent, foundational truth because of the way I'd been shaped how God created things was intertwined with a lot of the doctrines that I had been taught at church. And some of those doctrines made zero sense to me if we did evolve from earlier forms of life. Now, this whole thing was very frightening because really accepting this would entail significant rethinking and possibly condemnation and rejection by, from my community. These well-meaning authorities were warring in my skull like cut-rate shoulder angels and demons. Decide on this day whom you believe, yells the many creationist from one shoulder. God's holy perfect word or the fallible traditions of man. On the other shoulders, the shrieking materialist. Religion's mental disorder. The only truth is empirical fact. The church is just a human construct designed to control you. You know, as different as these two are, they're really just two sides of the same black and white fundamentalist coin. So was this subjective knowledge really the linchpin of everything? Was I required to either believe that all answers were in Genesis or instead that God was a delusion, black and white, no sitting on the fence? Save me from these well-meaning authorities. I found myself at the top of a very, very slippery slope. And let me tell you, the slippery slope is real, but perhaps not in the way people often mean. I'll get back to that. In the early 2000s, I began experiencing a dark night of the soul. I'd always wrestled with trying to believe objectively, empirically in the existence of God, and the struggle had been getting harder, not easier. Finally, the doubt was overpowering and overwhelming. I remember flinging myself on the floor and saying, God, I need to know if you're there or not. If you're not, I suppose I'll just become an atheist. That won't be fun, but, you know, I can't live a lie. So are you really there? And I felt like Indiana Jones in the movie, uh, running through this great tunnel that suddenly ends in this huge chasm where the tunnel continues on the other side. And he has to step out and risk falling to certain doom. So somehow, in that moment, in a way I cannot even explain I stepped out, and I heard a voice in my, in my head say, be still and know. Could this have been my own voice? Sure. But something shifted in my soul at that moment, and that particular doubt has never been such a burden since. At the time, I thought this was an end of a journey, but it was only the beginning. Over the next few years, I descended into severe depression, and it was nearly a decade before I regained anything I would describe as a functional life. The damage to myself, my family, and my relationships was incalculable. As I began to recover, I found help in medication and counseling, but precious little from the church. Sermons that mentioned depression were usually about how those depressed people out there need Jesus. I grew disillusioned, especially with our local church, where once it had been focused on community and service, 
Now it grew more rigidly doctrinaire. Every sermon seemed to be about how poorly I, the individual, was doing and how I, the individual, needed to do better. We drifted away, and few people seemed to notice. I was angry at God, and I wasn't shy about letting him know, didn't you say you would build your church? Didn't you say your sheep would hear your voice? Why then has your church failed me in the world so badly? Do they not hear you? Are you so ineffectual? Can you even be trusted at all? Why did I persevere? I'm not sure. Somewhere deep inside, I felt like Peter and John's gospel. After this, many of his disciples left. They longer, no, no longer wanted to be associated with him. Then Jesus gave the 12 their chance. Do you also want to leave? Peter replied, Master, to whom should we go? You have the words of real life, eternal life. I felt like Jacob. He wasn't willing to let go until he had an answer. I felt like Job who raged and questioned but did not give up. And I was trying to figure it out, so I broadened my reading. I read more about the history of the church and how it had so often aligned with empire. I read more about the wars of religion in Europe, of conflicts between Catholics and Protestants, but I also read more about the early church mothers and fathers who followed contemplative practices. I read about alternative theories of atonement. I read more about the black church and the global church. I also began to learn about the human brain body system and realized that my experience was not all that unusual. I learned that complex PTSD, trauma, depression, and anxiety were very common among those experiencing deconstruction. And yes, I learned that term, deconstruction, as many of you all have, I'm sure. I had few people who I could really talk to, so I turned to social media. As you might expect, this was a mixed blessing. On the one hand, I found people wrestling with exactly the same issues that I was. On the other hand, it was common to find true believers who would jump in and declare that I was clearly never a Christian to begin with. Let's just say that when you're going through a dark night of the soul, this is not a particularly helpful comment. Sometimes I even sought out such people because I just wanted to be angry. Being angry took my mind off my suffering for a little while. But these interactions left me scarred and bleeding. I needed to find a different way. I was still bleeding when my wife and I found our way to All Souls. At first, it was enough for it to be a welcoming community where I could feel safe. As I talked with people understood and read more widely, I began to realize that there had always been tremendous diversity in the beliefs and convictions of Christians. Throughout the ages and around the world, beliefs were always shaped by experience, by history, tradition, culture. The creeds didn't try to clarify every single question, only the major ones that caused division and conflict. How would we lost this diversity? And even the knowledge that there was such diversity. Here at All Souls, I found a place where I could ask honest questions and be vulnerable. Doug Bannister and others gave me permission, something I didn't even know I needed. They gave me the gift of time. They listened without judgment. As I finally had permission and space to question and rethink, by the way, did you know that? Repent literally means rethink. And here's where I hit the slippery slope. Now, those who warn about the slippery slope see it like this. A warm, beautiful haven and a dangerous slope toward danger and destruction. Now, why would you ever wander away from the haven 
and head over that direction. For me, though, it looked like this. I was in an untenable spot that was crumbling. The only option I had to retain my faith was to head down the slippery slope of questioning. And once committed, I have to continue questioning until I reach the bottom. Not the end of questions, of course, but to find a new path. And new paths generally go through the wilderness. For me, the slippery slope was about finding a new way to follow Christ. It was about finding that new wineskin to pour the always new goodness of God into. No one pours new wine into new wine, old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins and both the wine and the skins are ruined. Rather, new wine is poured into fresh wineskins. Today, my faith is much different than it used to be, and it's certainly not what I expected. I now embrace the lack of certainty and the mystery. As Paul said, now we see through a glass darkly. In many ways, it's a gift to be who I am today, and I have much to be grateful for. On the other hand, I hesitate to recommend suffering, especially traumatic suffering and complex PTSD. And I, I hesitate to suggest that we can or should always try to be figuring out the purpose. But sometimes suffering is the only thing that can undo being badly formed. Being remade is not easy, but it can be beautiful. The Japanese have a practice they call kintsugi. When pottery is broken, they repair it with gold. The result is often more beautiful than the original. The fractures are not something to be hidden or forgotten, but rather part of the object's history. Like Jacob, I wrestled with God and refused to let go, and like Jacob, I now walk with a limp. My mental health struggles have left me diminished in ways that I often grieve. For example, though I still love scripture, I can rarely sit down to read it much on my own. The old voices begin nattering away and make it very difficult to concentrate. Instead, I find I must lean much more on my church community and small groups. I've found that doing artwork, often without a plan, is a powerful way of focusing my mind and integrating those shards of my soul. In these practices, I've found more peace and connection with Christ than ever before. I'm good friends with the pattern of loss, grief, acceptance, and then seeing the beauty in the new normal, as Suzanne was teaching the orientation, disorientation, reorientation. It is writ large across my entire life, but also shows up often in smaller ways, sometimes over the course of a single day. My faith is now a deep trust in the Christ who pulls me together and mends me with gold, rather than breaking me apart. It's a journey with Christ and with the beloved community of the church rather than a destination, a journey of following, a journey of embracing, embracing the mystery, a journey that will not be complete until all things are made new. Thank you much for listening, my beloved community. I would like to end with a short piece I wrote called A Liturgy for Those Who Want to Believe. Glorious Creator, in the moments when I believe in you, I am filled with wonder and the hope and trepidation. The very thought seems too good to be true, a pipe dream, the very pinnacle of wishful thinking. If you truly are love in some fundamental way, is that not the best possible news? Can I soak in this possibility, marinate in this goodest of good news, 
Help me indeed to marinate, for it is a thing that our society has bred out of us. If you truly are love, perhaps I can relax. Perhaps I can sweat a little less, be afraid a little less, care about my own supremacy a little less. If you truly are love, perhaps I can care a little more for the downtrodden, listen a little more carefully to the hurting, work a little harder to create spaces that are more humane. If you truly are love, help me to become a little more like you every day. Let it be so. Amen. Thank you, Rob. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord.